Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Cold open. Hello. You are about to listen to our live show from Raleigh, North Carolina. It was a very fun time, just as we managed to have a very fun time in Columbus and Indianapolis this week, and very nearly, but not quite in Ann Arbor as well. To all those Ann Arborites and other Michiganders, we're very sorry we had to cancel, but also very pleased to be doing what we are told to do in these uncertain times. We still have your questions and your email addresses, though, so expect to hear from us soon regarding what we are going to be doing with those resources. We'll also be in touch soon if we haven't already about refunds. We know that these are difficult and uncertain times in many parts of the world. If you're anything like me, you're constantly swinging back and forth between overreacting and underreacting and never quite sure which one of those things you are doing. I think that's really normal in times of uncertainty. And I think that the only way out of that is time uh, and the certainty that comes with it. And the best way to spend that time, as we must, is uh, taking care of ourselves and providing care for others when it's needed. Thanks for being awesome and, and for hanging out with us, whether you did it in the real world or you're just doing it here. And please enjoy this episode of Dear Hank and John. And welcome to Dear John and Hank! It's Dear Hank and John! Dear Hank and John! It's called Dear Hank and John. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Woman and John! Yes. That was very elegantly done, Hank. You know... <sighs> John, the, John, the, what, John. Yeah, yes, of course, yes. Do you, do you know what an acorn is? <sighs> what is an acorn? In a nutshell, it's an oak tree. <laughs> They're cheering. Do you? Yeah, because, I mean, the, the, the because, problem with that joke is that it was funny. It was a good joke, but that, that's going to encourage you to tell more jokes, and all the others are so bad. So it was, that, is, that is a good joke. It's so good that I'm pretty confident you didn't write it. Uh, no. I did find it on our dad jokes on Reddit. Oh. There's so, so much of my material originates. So you're a joke thief. Um, but I don't think it counts as a joke thief if you're not a comedian and you just tell bad dad jokes. I think that's, I think that's okay. It's just being a dad. Right, yeah. We are here in Raleigh, North Carolina, um, which is the city of oaks, which is why I did an oak joke. Whoa! 
That's and, and, that, and I think that's why I got an extra cheer, was, is my guess. Yeah. Are you aware that you're the city of Oaks? Okay, good. Yeah, Missoula is not really the city of... They call it the Garden City, and I'm like, that's, that's just New Jersey. But is it New Jersey? They call it the Garden State. I know, I know, I've been there. <laughs> you can There's see on all there. of the turnpike signs that it's the Garden State. <laughs> then you look and you're like, hmm, hmm, that looks like a refinery, but it's okay. It's a different kind of garden than I'm used to. But we're not here to criticize New Jersey. Yeah, and sorry. Alienate, and alienate any people here who are from New Jersey. As is Which the is case, apparently half you of guys, you. You guys are everywhere. Wow. All right, let's answer some uh, questions from our listeners, or in this case, our, our viewers and listeners, because Ooh, all, these questions, all these questions came from you, and the way that we're going to identify you is via your ambulance song. Some people may be new to the podcast, and they don't know what that's a reference to. I had a million-dollar idea, um, or maybe someone else had it and I stole it. It's hard for me to remember sometimes. <laughs> and the million-dollar idea was that instead of having that annoying, like, really piercing siren um, when you're in an ambulance, which is a terrible thing to hear when you're sick or, or in crisis, you should have an ambulance song that you kind of pre-file, and then if you ever find yourself in an ambulance, they play your song the whole way there. Uh, so it's really loud. It's really loud. And so people know to get out of the way, but also you get to listen to a song that's better than, than the actual ambulance siren. There are some problems with this million-dollar idea. We don't need to get into all of them. Lots of people have pointed them out to me. <laughs> But it's a fun thing to dream about. It is, this would be part of my, if I ever wrote a dystopian novel, believe you me, everybody would have an ambulance song. <laughs> and it would cost so much. Oh, just yeah. Just like everything in the healthcare system. John. Now, yeah, let's answer this question from Abby and Ryan, whose ambulance song is Shake It Off by Taylor Swift. Gotta have some good vibes going in that situation, they write. <laughs> Hello, this is Abby and Ryan. Our question is, have either of you ever come across an odd topic or strange fact while doing research for one of your books? And if yes, what did you discover and was it ever added to hmm. the book? Mm -hmm. I, I, so I had a scene in my book that takes place, several scenes that take place inside of an airplane where there's no one in it and, uh, and things have to happen in the airplane. So I called a man uh, and his Twitter handle was like, airplane guy. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I basically said... That's how I, Hank finds his experts. Yeah, I, I, I tweeted, I was like, I need someone who's like an airplane guy. And then somebody and, and was like... airplane guy responded, like, hey, hey! Uh, yeah, no, he's totally an airplane guy. Like, when, like, an airplane thing happens, he's on the cable news. Like, they call him up, and, like, he, he's like a professional airplane guy. And, uh, and so I, I got on the phone with him. Uh, he was super gregarious and, like, open to helping me out however I wanted. And I was like, I need to know how you might get into a plane, not through the door. And he was like, let me tell you a story. <laughs> and I was like, yay! This is, I need a story. So he wants, wants an airplane... Uh, the door got stuck. And I don't think there was anybody on the plane at the time. Right. That's um, key. Yeah. And so you need to come out and you need to get into the airplane, but the door won't open. And so he told me how you get into an airplane, which is you crawl in through the nose landing gear. And then you crawl up there and then there's like a thing where you unscrew all the bolts and then you can get into the airplane. And if you're ever walking around in like a 737, you can see the bolts in the floor in the front galley that he, that you can like crawl down into the... Uh, landing gear from. I can't remember the words landing gear <laughs> right now. I also frequently do this where I learn something and then put it into a book. In fact, my novel An Abundance of Catherines is essentially just a series of things that I learned stitched together into, into novel form. 
But uh, but but recently with my podcast, The Anthropocene Reviewed, like sometimes I'll discover a fact that so, that I like so much that I'll be like, I think I've got to write twelve hundred words so that I can justify telling people that. <laughs> uh, the most recent example of which is that I reviewed uh, pineapple on pizza for The Anthropocene Reviewed because I discovered that in the 1960s, pineapple on pizza was invented in Canada by a Greek immigrant who was working at a Chinese restaurant and who was inspired by Chinese cuisine to put a South American food on a traditionally Italian dish, which went on to become most popular not in Hawaii, but in Australia, <laughs> where astonishingly, nationwide, pineapple is the number one topping on pizza. There's a lot of pineapple fans not, in the I'm audience. Not, I'm not convinced by your applause. It did seem it seemed it seemed not to be 100% of the people. Yeah, it's a very divisive topic and so I, I was like, man, given that fact, I've got to find 1200 other words to say about pineapple on pizza <laughs> because I want to tell that to the people. It's good. Oh man, I want pizza now. Oh, not And me. there's Canadian bacon. What is Canadian? Is it Canadian bacon? No. Of course it's not. Of course he knows that. Yes. Bacon has no nationality. <laughs> It's very true. It belongs to the it's the, to the pig. <laughs> it's, it's pig bacon. Thank you and very much. Do are, not take that away from them. Actually, just leave it on. Would probably be their preference. <laughs> All right. I told you it was going to be a lot of emotional whiplash. <laughs> All right, Hank, what's our next question? It comes from David, whose ambulance song is... Mm, D.S. I don't know what that is. Oh, it's like a chant. Yeah, it's like a Gregorian a, chant. Okay. I mean, it's also That's other good. things. It's a, we'll it's also, talk about it's it It's also a bop, a dance song. It's not a bop. As an, education, <laughs> as an education major in his final semester of university, I'm prepared to teach English in high school, and I'm slightly afraid of not being the teacher that will inspire my students. What teachers inspired you the most in your education over the years, and what did they do to help you see their subject as tangible and worth engaging with outside of just the requirements? Not a giant killer, nor a sling slinger, simply David. But David was just simply David until they were like, hey, there's a Goliath you need to fight, so you never know. And you are going into the education system, so you will have your share. I first thing I want to say about this is like you don't have to be that thing for every student. Because yeah. that is it's not how it works. It's not like we all come out of the of the education system and we all picked like everybody who had Mrs. Grant thinks Mrs. Grant was the one. I think that we all find our own teachers. That yeah, like us. no matter how inspirational my Algebra 2 teacher was, that just wasn't going to be the person. For you. you. Know? Yeah. But for, I actually have a lot of friends who would cite our Algebra 2 teacher as like the most inspiring, most wonderful teacher. He was a great teacher. It's just he happened to be teaching Algebra 2, to which I am not inclined. <laughs> uh, for me, the yeah. people who made the biggest difference... So when I was in school, I often felt like I was being asked to jump over a series of arbitrary hurdles uh, for no reason, like they do in hurdle races, you know? Like whenever I watch a hurdle race, I always think to myself, if they just removed the hurdles, this would go so much faster. <laughs> And that's how I felt in school. I was like, now they're going to make me jump over the Algebra 2 hurdle, and now I have to jump over the American history hurdle. Why? Because the hurdles have been placed here by forces so much larger than me that I cannot begin to imagine them. And it all felt like quite arbitrary, and it felt like the main thing I was trying to do was to get a piece of paper that said that I had learned enough to be a grown-up. And 
the teachers who mattered to me were the teachers who were so passionate about what they were doing. They were so passionate about their work, about their subject matter, that somehow that passion became infectious, and I began to see it not as a series of hurdles, but instead as an opportunity, an opportunity to understand my place in the universe and to understand the universe, an opportunity to understand like how in different periods of history people have communicated themselves, the ideas that mattered to them, the questions that mattered to them, and, and, and how to have like conversations through space and time with the magic of reading and things like that. That was the stuff that really got me. So I think for me it comes down to passion and finding a way to hold on to that passion even when you're around students who, if they're anything like me, <laughs> are super difficult and can be kind of annoying. Yeah, and I think that like being open to that kind of passion in front of a bunch of maybe somewhat intentionally detached in order to protect themselves students right. uh, can be difficult because like they they are in a world to some extent where they have to protect their identities because like it's not easy in high school or middle school to, to be a person. Um, and so I think a lot of the sort of aloofness that comes with uh, high school is, a, is, you know, it's protection. Um, oh, and yeah. So, like breaking through that. It feels definitely feels like you if you show the world your 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 vulnerable bellies yes. that it will devour you. <laughs> no, I mean I because that. like uh, yeah, I, I felt that way throughout middle school and then through most of high school. By the way, if you're in middle school or high school right now, um, and it's and it's great, that's I'm so happy for you. And if it's not great, it's it's okay. And and I, I'm sorry that it sucks, but it I promise it will get better. High school is temporary. You will not always feel the way that you feel in high school. I feel like the biggest achievement in my life in a lot of ways was um, making it to adulthood. (laughs) (laughs) I'm extremely extremely proud of that. And all I ever want to talk about when I see old friends is, oh, my God, can you believe that we're here? (laughs) (laughs) This next question comes from Meredith, who would like to hear Highway to Hell by ACDC while they're on the way to the hospital. Meredith is working, dear Anka John, says Meredith, I'm working at NASA this semester as an intern. Awesome. So I'm like 0.001% sure that they might be hiding aliens somewhere at the research base I will be at. I want to be on the lookout in case we are living in that very small percentage chance universe. Can you help me come up with a game plan? How do I find the potential secret aliens? Where might they be? What if my, one of my coworkers is one of them? <laughs> In fear of inevitable heat death, Meredith. I mean, first of all... That shouldn't even be in your top thousand worries. No, it should. I disagree. Yeah, no, what you gotta do. So the main thing... Hold on, let me get out my pen. (laughs) It's gotta add... You don't even have a list. You haven't even finished your top thousand yet, have you? Mm, Number 999. (laughs) Spiders crawling in my mouth while I sleep. (laughs) 1,000 heat death Oh no Of universe <laughs> Should I move it up? The heat death of the universe or the yeah. aliens? Oh, the heat death of the universe I'm not a, Aliens aren't even in my top 10,000 okay. Yeah, no No, you've, we don't have to worry about heat death Oh, right I'm yeah. back You're gonna die Whoa. way before that Yeah Oh, we'll all be, oh, there's this, no way. this whole thing will be long gone before the heat death of the universe. But what a party we will have had. Um, to, aliens, they got to be keeping them in the basement, right? So that's just my assumption. 
So you got to go down as many stairs as you can. This is also what I do anytime I'm in a new building. I just want to go down as far as I can. I like, I like to find out what's down there. And then I'm in a venue like this one. And they're like, why, did you, why are you down there? Last night, Hank was like walking up and down staircases. And there was like a, a velvet rope. And he was just like jumping over the staircase and like pulling on all the doors. And I was like, I think they're probably locked for a reason. I didn't know you saw me do that. Yeah. Uh, but whatever, I'm so used to it at this point. Like we, we both have like the hearts of urban explorers, but you also have the courage of one. Um, <laughs> here's the thing, and I, I feel very strongly about this, Meredith. The reason I don't think there's a lot of reasons I don't think that NASA's holding on to aliens. Um, one is that conspiracy theories are almost always wrong, and two is that like the more people who would have to know about something, the more likely the conspiracy theory is to be wrong. And three is imagine with me a situation in which aliens are somehow like smart enough to make it to Earth and and to, to either like travel faster than light or nearly faster than light. Things that we we are pretty sure are impossible, and they get here, and then somehow us. Our species, <laughs> people, people, human beings who work at NASA are able to capture them and put them in a basement. <laughs> and then these people who traveled like 82 light years to get to Earth are like, how are we going to get out of the basement? <laughs> Guess we'll just stay down here, wait for Meredith. <laughs> So the point that John has made, which I like, is that in order for there to be aliens, very few people have to know about them. So what must have happened is that they, someone found out about aliens, but then they forgot. And there was only one person. So there's an alien somewhere and nobody knows. He's just like, a, like it's dead. I'm assuming it's dead. And it's just, just freeze-dried in a box. So you just got to open a bunch of boxes. Is my only suggestion. You gotta be. You Meredith, gotta, we are gonna get you fired. Open every box. Yeah. And if your supervisor asks what you're doing, you just look at them and you say, like, why do you ask? Is it because you do have the aliens? <laughs> it's, gonna be, it's gonna be a great semester at NASA, Meredith. You're welcome. Yeah. These podcast men told me. <laughs> All right, we got another question. This one um, comes from Jamie, who writes, I'd like any Lady Gaga song to be played in my ambulance on the way to the hospital. Just a mixtape. Do lobsters feel pain? (laughs) I keep hearing... Hank, it's the evening of emotional whiplash. (laughs) I keep hearing that they don't feel any sort of pain, but that sounds like the kind of thing that we would say. (laughs) Which is a great point. Yeah. I just, Jamie, I think you're right to like not trust humanity when it comes yeah. to other organisms. Yeah. We've got a very <laughs> questionable track record. They look really, they taste really good in bisque, and I don't want to stop ordering them. Mm. Jamie. Well, so there's only one way to find out. You got to get a lobster, and then you got to hurt it and ask. No, no. Do you no, feel it now? No, Do you no, feel it no. now? God. Do you feel it now? Does it hurt yet? Does it hurt now? Okay, that's Is that good? Uh, stop it. <laughs> I'm not having fun with that. <laughs> no, there's a great essay about this. Uh, it's called Consider the Lobster. And just read that essay. And mm. at the end, if you're like me, you will have had your last lobster. Oh, I mean, lobsters feel way less pain than most things I eat. Sorry. <laughs> I just had a pop belly sandwich backstage and... All right, let's move on. 
pain occurred. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I I do think that we should I do think that we should grapple honestly with um, our role in the ecosystem. But this next question comes from Leo. He's really moving fast. He doesn't want to hear about lobsters anymore. I'm sorry, John. Leo's ambulance song would be Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin. Nice. It's good. It's good. It's a little pessimistic. <laughs> Not as pessimistic as Highway to Hell. <laughs> I love reading, but I have a tendency to start a book and then imagine another book might be even better or more exciting. It's mm. like FOMO, but for books. <laughs> <laughs> well, people look at Snapchat and they're like, I could be at the dance party. And you're like, looking at your other book. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I didn't know, by the way, I didn't know what FOMO meant until I was like 39. Well, it's a new thing. Yeah, but uh, no, I mean, the idea of fear of missing out had, had long existed. It's just that the acronym was yeah. new. Um, what dubious advice can you give me for focusing on one book at a time? I think that I try to make decisions based on what I will enjoy, not what I feel like I will feel bad about missing. You know, sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm going to, like, I have to do that because I'm going to feel bad if I don't do it. I don't like want to make decisions based on my bad feelings. I want to make feelings based on my good feelings. So, like, when I'm in a book, I want to have good feelings. And if I'm not having good feelings about the book, I'll totally move on. But but I want to be in that good feeling and focus on that. And And yes, to the exclusion of all other books. And I don't have a problem with that anymore. I feel like I, I definitely did at one point, but now I can give it, I can give in. So you gotta, you gotta let yourself go. Give in to the book. Well, there's so many versions of this in a human life though, right? Like your life could always be a little bit different and you always think like, well, what if my life was a little bit different this way? It, mm. it might be better. Oh, um, no. But yes, if you think catastrophe about- catastrophe to think that way. If you spend all of the time thinking about what you don't have, you will literally, you know, like you can't be satisfied because you, there will always be something that you don't have. Um, and when I, I, I actually read more than one book at a time a lot of times, which I know is terrible and I shouldn't do it or whatever. And I've, people have criticized. Do me, you, so. John? Huh? Do you? Do I what? Do you? Do you? Do you? Do I, it's do a I, phrase. You do you. Be, enjoy being the way you want to be. Oh. Oh. Do you? Do you, yeah. You, like, you be the person you want to be. Yeah, do you? It's been a long time since I was on Twitter. That's probably a Twitter thing. Nah. They got that far before I mentioned his social media hiatus, everybody. That was a long time. I quit using Twitter. <laughs> it's like when someone tells you that they w went to college just outside of Boston. Yeah. And you have to be like, where'd you go? And they're like, oh, Harvard. Yeah. But yes, it's true. I don't use Twitter. <laughs> Although you I just I, look at it. I, yeah, I was going to say, I do look at it all the time. Um, I just don't post to it because I feel like, you know, it has enough information. <laughs> anyway, um, I read more than one book at a time. And uh, partly that is maybe because I'm, I, I, sometimes I get bored or, or I want to be thinking about a different thing. A lot of times I'm reading a novel and a nonfiction book at the same time because the nonfiction books are like long and big and they, they, I, I kind of can't stick with them forever. But whenever I'm, whenever I'm reading something or watching TV or, or engaging with any kind of art, I try to think about what I am doing and not what I'm not doing. Because if I think about what I'm not doing, then I'm just kind of perpetually dissatisfied. Good. I, yeah, I think that's a, great, that's a great sort of microcosmos for one of the big problems that it's hard to avoid in life, which is always thinking about what that other decision might have led to. And there's no productivity there. 
Truly. This next question comes from... It's time for a million-dollar idea. Another million-dollar idea. Somebody on the internet tweeted this million-dollar idea. It's from Craig. Thanks, Craig. On Twitter. Million-dollar idea. 12-volt axe body spray warmer fits in cup holder, maybe? Well, okay. Does it warm the pressurized can of, of axe body spray? Yes. It gets it, it gets it just warm enough for it to be warm, but not so warm that, that you, you have die in the wor- fire. The worst cause of death. The worst one. Axe body spray fireball. <laughs> in Mazda. In, no, I was, I was going to say, I was going to say in PT Cruiser, but <laughs> Mazda might be better. I hate everything about this idea. (laughs) I mean, even scientifically, it doesn't work. Like, pressurized gas is cool when they are unpressurized. So even if you warmed it up pretty good, it'd still be cold. Also, just just use less if it's unpleasant, because no one's ever complained about not, like, too little Axe body spray. I've never heard that complaint. I really enjoyed our date. The only thing was that I felt like the Axe body spray was a little subtle. It was too light. (laughs) Yeah. Just the slightest bit subtle. But, like, I... Okay, so let's... We can all laugh, but... Journey back with me, if you will, those of, uh, those of you who are, like, older than 14. Journey back with me. When I was 14 years old, I remember getting ready for a dance, and I had this cologne, mm-hmm. and I, I mean, it made me feel like a man. Mm. It made me feel like I, it made me feel confident. It made me feel like I was attractive, and I did not underspray it. No. You know? <laughs> Like, I would, like, do two things and then, like, walk through it. And then I'd, I'd, like, walk away for a bit and I'd kind of be like, nah. (laughs) Yeah, I just, I mean, and I, I, you know what? Like, I I was a pretty smelly boy and I probably smelled way better. Then, yeah. Or at least you could have, for sure. I didn't have this with, uh, this is, we're going to get deep. I didn't have this with with cologne, but I did have a a jar of Tic Tacs. And I'd flip open the Tic Tac lid and I'd go... And that made me feel super cool. I just like hit one Tic Tac out of the little plastic Tic Tac container. Oh, it's funny all the weird things that you do when you're a kid that you think like people saw that and they were like, that kid's cool. Yeah. That kid's got it. I've really out. made my decision. Yeah. I finally. Well, I mean, by the way, thank God you were just like flipping in Tic Tacs. Meanwhile, your brother's dipping. <laughs> I feel like we're in North Carolina. Do you know it's what dipping is? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't dip anymore. The last time I dipped was at my cousin's wedding, and my, my grandmother, my nanny from outside of Milan, Tennessee, uh, was at the reception, and uh, she walked past me, and she looked at me, and she said, are you dipping? And I was like, no. <laughs> Just at a wedding. And that was it, man. That was cup. the end of my career. Oh, goodness gracious. All right. Which reminds me, John, that today's podcast is brought to you by Never Dipping. <laughs> Probably best not to start. Today, today's podcast is also brought to you by Oak Trees. <laughs> Woo! Oaks! Oak Trees, Oaks. the symbol of the great city of Raleigh, North Carolina. <laughs> this really is a great city, by the way. I mean, I am... 
I, I wish that we could export some of what Raleigh has to Indianapolis. <laughs> it's amazing. This podcast is also brought to you by Gregorian Bops. All those good old Gregorian Bops to oh dance Oh, my your... God, that is such a good idea. Mm. That is like an actual that. million dollar idea. Kids bop, but for Gregorian chants. <laughs> Tweet it, John. You can't. Sorry. Somebody call Craig and tell him that the Axe Body Spray <laughs> Warmer is on the outs. <laughs> Today's podcast, of course, also brought to you by the Axe Body Spray Fireball. The Axe Body Spray Fireball, avoid it. <laughs> it's so easy to avoid. Just, just like dipping. Do not plug in your body spray. That's the only, the only necessary step. So listen, your toilet is massively gross. Like, it's grosser than you think. In fact, bacteria and viruses can hang around in the toilet bowl even after multiple flushes. And I recently found the easiest way to clean my toilet. Blue Land's sustainable toilet cleaner tablets. Just drop, watch it fizz, brush, and flush. It is truly that simple. No more scrubbing for hours. Plus, the tablets are plastic-free. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet with the same powerful clean that you're used to. Blue Land products are effective and affordable, and their toilet tablets are proven to work on a wide range of toilet stains, including rust, mineral deposits, lime scale, and hard water. And you can even get more savings by buying refills in bulk or setting up a subscription. Blue Land has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss this blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. Oh, boy. I've got another question. Yeah. This is from Ellie, whose ambulance song would be Karma by AJR. I don't know that one. The, yeah, AJR fans in the audience, that might have just been Ellie. Recently... <laughs> I was at a wedding, and at the reception, I was standing with my older brother and my mother talking about what I wanted at my wedding when I get married. And I oh, was, my God, this is an amazing question. I was trying to tell them that I wanted a trellis with flowers, but I accidentally told them that I wanted a trebuchet. <laughs> which, is a, which is a catapult, for yeah. those of you who, like it's me, a, did not know what trebuchet a, meant. It's a siege. It's a siege weapon. It's not like, a catapult. Okay, I'm sorry. It's not a catapult. It's a, it just looks same exactly like a catapult. It, hey, it doesn't look anything say, like a catapult. It does similar things to a catapult. It throws rocks. It's a large rock thrower. Anyway, my brother and mother found this very amusing, and told my father and my best friend. Now they all call me Trebuchet Girl. <laughs> and my brother, who has built a trebuchet before. <laughs> Welcome to North Carolina. <laughs> Has started the designs for my trebuchet for my future wedding. What do I do to make everyone forget about this? Trebuchets and tragedies, Ellie. Ellie, lean in. Lean in. I know you wanted your trellis to be covered in beautiful flowers, but your trebuchet can be covered in beautiful flowers, too. Ellie... The number of people who've had really, really beautiful trellises at their weddings is high. Yeah. The number of people who have had amazing, high-quality trebuchets that catapult... The bouquet. Oh. You got you to trebuchet the bouquet. Yeah. They, they sound similar. It's trebuchet. Million-dollar idea. <laughs> oh. 
I don't know how close you are to getting married. It's not clear in this. It could be that you're you're considerable. Seems, <laughs> seems it seems I, I'm going to guess that it's, there's a considerable distance between you and and your marriage, and so it's possible that in the intervening years you'll be able to maybe like just ev hope everybody forgets. But I'm going to be honest with you, Ellie. It's very unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. This some some things stick. Is it's going to stick? It's this one's a sticker. And um, I think that you should have, like, an amazing trebuchet wedding. I think yeah. you should have, like, a 21 trebuchet salute. <laughs> yeah. No, you have to, you, like, to, to come to the wedding, you have to bring a trebuchet. Not a big one. Or no, medium not a, no, sized. you just need to bring something that the trebuchet can count right. You can bring a watermelon. Mm -hmm. you, you know, it's yeah. up to you. Right, any kind of gourd. Uh, melons sure. are great. Don't yeah. put the mixer on there. That's for you know, you're the rest of your life, but right. everything else. Yeah, don't register for presents, only register for like cannonballs. <laughs> Sounds dangerous. I think you got a real opportunity here. Absolutely. All right, this next question comes from Megan, who asks, I attend a tiny school and play for the rugby team, so I'm fairly well known around campus. However, there is a girl I pass almost every day who without fail will wave at me and say, hello, Matt. This brief interaction brightens my day as she seems genuinely happy to see me, but my name, as mentioned earlier, is Megan, not Matt. To the best of my knowledge, we've never talked before, so I'm not sure where she got this idea. How do I tell her my real name without making the greeting awkward or worse, having her stop it altogether? So far, I just wave back and act as if nothing is amiss. So your only real concern here is that Matt spreads. Like, right. Which there's I would nothing argue wrong with one Matt person because I've I have many people like this in my life who think my name is something and are wrong and I just it's fine. I Matt. also have many people. They all think my name is Hank. <laughs> I I once walked into a bar and a guy pointed at me with both fingers and said Vsauce, <laughs> and I was like, fine with me. Yeah, yeah, that works. Yeah. Earlier today, Hank and I were in an airport. And I, like, snuck up on Hank while he was working on his book and took, a, took like, a surprise selfie, you know, to, to post to the community tab of our YouTube channel. And afterwards, like, 15 minutes later, when Hank got up, a young woman walked up to him and said, I'm really sorry about what that fan did. That was really inappropriate. <laughs> and I just want to say I really like your work and what you've done on Crash Course has made a big impact in my life. And again, I'm really sorry. And I, and I Most just, like, people aren't like that. And I just turned, turned to look at John with just daggers. No. Uh, and we explained the situation. What were we talking Matt. about? Matt! Matt! Megan! No, I think it's Matt. The, so the way that I would deal with this a hundred times out of a hundred is to just let it slide yeah. and then like three years into college when you're at a party together and somebody says, hey, Megan, and the person is like, wait, what? <laughs> you could be like, yeah, no, my name is Megan, but like, uh, I always liked that you call me Matt and uh, yeah, I, I, I should have mentioned it at some point, but like I just, when, I didn't know when. Yeah, it seems uh, like you're so genuinely pleased to have this person in your life. Don't mess it up. <laughs> yeah, I like the way that we've solved this problem by just pushing it on down the line. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to ask a few people up to give your questions in person. Grab the mic and tell me what's up. What's your question? Hello. Oh, sorry. That was very loud. Uh, hello, my name is Benjamin. I've worn entirely yellow since 2016. <laughs> I know I'm not the only monochromatist because I've Monochro seen monochromatist. Monochromatist. someone who wears only the same color. There's more of us. 
There's so many of you, there's a name for it. Well, I, I mean, I made the name. You made the name. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's agreed on it yet. But I know there's at least three. There's a, there's a pink lady, a green lady, and a yellow lady. Hmm. Okay, so you're four. Well, I suppose. There might be more. <laughs> we don't know. Um, however, in these videos that I've seen on the internet of these people, none of them mentioned any romantic relations. Uh-huh. And I haven't had much luck myself yet. So my question is... <laughs> Do you think wearing only one color is attractive in a date? Is yellow a sexy color? <laughs> <laughs> um, I have some follow-ups. Yeah, first of all, thank you for coming down so that I could see the whole situation. It is not just clothes, it's also your hair. Yes, but naturally. I like that you've accented with your belt and a not yellow. The belt is yellow. It's, it's a yellow leather. It's a yellow leather, okay. I, first off, I love this. I just think it's wonderful. Thank you for doing it. Oh, thank you. I, it, has, it brings me such joy. <laughs> I cannot imagine that it would be a... I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but it, it doesn't seem like it would be like an inherent like red flag or yellow flag, I guess, in this particular case. <laughs> a big yellow flag. Too. I guess yeah. it depends on the person. Um, yeah. But it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be a yellow flag for me. I would be kind of psyched because then I would get to like know what I was working against every day. Right, you know how to dress. Yeah. You know exactly. You Many times that. Sarah will like put on an outfit for a big thing and I'll be like, oh geez, now I gotta like figure out how to look good next to this yeah. work of art. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for gesturing at me. Uh, oh, don't I, <laughs> this stand-in for my wife, my brother. Uh, I feel like it wasn't weird till you made it weird. <laughs> You always know the first conversation you're going to have, and that's a huge weight off. It is true. I, it's always the first conversation with someone I meet. Yeah. Well, you could have a card. This is something we've discussed in the podcast before, where people are like, are you wearing all yellow when you just have the card? And it's like, yes. I've actually considered this. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes like, I just sign up my friends to do this, the spiel. We all know. Yeah. Everybody, yeah. You know, what, you know the questions that are coming. Do you suspect that you will be a monochromatist for the rest of your life? I truly hope so. I truly okay. hope something doesn't go wrong up here and I decide to, to abandon it. Okay. Unless something goes terribly wrong, you're going to be wearing only yellow for your... I love it. I love it. Keep it. Stay yes. with it, Benjamin. Thank you. Let nothing hold you back. It's going to be yes, okay. Yellow is a very sexy color. To answer the one yes and no question. Thank you. Thank you, Benjamin. Our resident monochromatist, which is my new favorite word. <laughs> Hello. Hi. Uh, I'm Natalie. I don't only wear one color. Yes. Multiple yeah. colors. Polychromatists unite. <laughs> uh, and my question was, so I've been going to college for about a year and a half now, but I still feel like I haven't gotten to know the small city I live in that well. So I was wondering, when y'all go to a new city, what are some of the first things you do or the first places you try to go to get mm. to know a place? I went Great question. to a college, and I just went back to the place where I went to college. So I was in St. Petersburg yesterday where I went to my undergrad. And I went, woo, St. Petersburg, just you. <laughs> Love it. And I went downtown, and I was like, this was here? All of this stuff. Not all of it, but like a lot of it was there. There were so many, like, there were like three different art museums in St. Petersburg that I have never been to despite living there for four years. My main suggestion is to actually go to the places where places are, which is sort of the downtown, and then like walk the streets. Also, I might suggest sort of like finding a haunt. Like if there's a coffee shop downtown that you can like be at and get comfortable in and sort of have, have that be your base of operations. 
Right, and then you kind of build the hubs from that. Uh, you build the, the, spokes. The, the spokes from that hub. Right, sorry. Got it. Um, <laughs> the other thing I would recommend is going to museums, uh, not just art museums, but also weird museums. Yes, like, we have in Missoula the Museum of Mountain Flying, uh, where they have planes that flew over mountains, apparently. <laughs> But it's one of those things, like, you go there, and you go there kind of as a joke, but then while you're there, you're reading a plaque, and you're like, oh, I did not know that, and I did not know that about my hometown. Like, I live quite close to the world's largest ball of paint, which is now, like, I don't know, much larger than a human being, and it started out as just a baseball that one guy has obsessively painted for 40 years. And I went to the world's largest ball of paint, like, as a joke. And then while I was there, I was like, this is beautiful. And it is everything that I love about (laughs) humanity. And I am so glad that I saw it in real life. And tears sprouted to my eyes. So you never know. You never know. There are so many wonderful public amenities that very few of us end up taking uh, advantage of. Going to the Indianapolis Library is like one of the great joys of my life. It's one of the only places where everybody walks in and is truly equal. And everybody has true equal access to information. Information. So yeah, cool. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you. And our final question of the evening. Hello. Hi. 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 I'm Preetha. My ambulance song is "Don't Stop Me Now." Oh, of course. Yeah, you did put that in there. Yeah. John didn't copy it. Sorry. So I'm just starting college. Uh, new semester, new classes, and you always have to do introductions, and you have to give a fun fact usually. And so my go-to fun fact is that in middle school, I was in a spoon cult. Um, so I'm trying to see, is that a good fun fact? Is that a good fun fact? Is this the, the middle school spoon cult? Uh, I have a follow-up. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of kinds of spoon cults. Right, right. If you'd been asked in middle school to say three of your top identities, would one of them be like, and I'm a member of a spoon cult? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And... And the spoon cult, was it about one particular spoon or all spoons? Um, So mainly plastic spoons. Okay. Okay. Can you give me some examples of some of the things that you would do to express your sacrifice toward the spoon or your willingness to give everything for it? So we wanted to raise awareness, correct? Mm. Okay. Uh, We made bumper stickers. Okay. And um, we would put them on random people's cars. (laughs) It's not allowed. I'm not allowed to approve of that. (laughs) <laughs> John That's bad do you, do you want to know something amazing, Preetha That I think Hank is about to tell you? Yeah, I was Hank Green Was in a spoon cult It was college, though So, like, it took me way longer to get there than you Okay So, really, I maybe should have known better What was it Or called? not It was called the Darth Spoon Cult uh, it was, or, or occasionally the cult of the Darth Spoon. I read your question, and I like looked up at Hank, and I was like, weren't you in a spoon cult? How common are they? <laughs> no, I, so my concern is that it might not be an interesting fact yeah, about yourself, just, because it might be that normal. everyone was in a spoon cult. Can you raise your hand if you were in a spoon cult? Okay, it was just us. And All one right. other person. One other person. I think, so I think that we've discovered that spoon cults are interesting. Um, I feel good about this fact. I know that it's not the only one about you. You have many to go on, but it's a good starting point for sure. I like, and I, I might use it now because I kind of forgot about my spoon cult. Thank you for bringing it back into my life. And I really like, um, ju- if you're going to, I love to tell a story that's like 60% true. So I'm just going to give you advice. You 
Huh? I said he sure does. Yeah. Um, well, then it makes them better. Uh, I, would, I would say you put the bumper stickers on random people's cars. Well, that's what she said. I thought she said houses. No. Oh. It turns out you had the story perfect to start. I'm sorry for trying to make it worse. <laughs> Prove it. You're a genius at, at spoon cults, and congratulations on, on being interesting and going to college. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you for being here with us on this special night, the only time that all of us will ever come together and be in the same place at the same time, just statistically. And... John, thank you for being on this podcast with me. It's been a joy. Thank you for supporting our work over the years, uh, for listening to our pods, and uh, for being here with us and making this such a special night. Our live show coordinator is Monica Gasper. This episode was edited by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our producers are Rosiana Hals-Ruhas and Sheridan Gibson. The music that you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be, to be awesome. awesome. Bye, guys. Bye.